So this is not a revenue problem. It's a spending problem, as I've said time and again. You know, if you look back to Calvin Coolidge, whenever he cut taxes, he also cut government spending, or at least rein in the growth of government spending. And then that allowed for their deficits not to continue to go up. In fact, they cut the debt and they pay down some of the debt there. There, So that's a key difference that you have going on. And, and this is a bipartisan spending problem that's been happening for a long time. And that's how we've gotten to this situation. So we've got... Hello, welcome to this week's economy. I'm your host, Dr. Vance Gann. Thank you for joining me today. We've got a lot to discuss. There's been a lot of key information coming out on economic insights about GDP, PCE inflation, the Texas economy, and a lot more. And so don't miss it as I go through this really quickly for you. It's, you can get everything going for your weekend and everything else. So thank you for joining me again today. The number one thing that I wanted to talk about was GDP. What is that? It's gross domestic product. The Bureau of Economic Analysis recently released the third quarter revised estimate and the real GDP adjusted for inflation, the overall economic output in the economy increased instead of 4.9% in the third quarter, it increased by 5.2%. Sounds strong, sounds robust, but there's more weaknesses that are still underlying what's happening here. Part of that is that about a one full percentage point of that was from government spending. And as we know, and I've talked about a lot, government spending is a drain on the economy. It does not boost anything. There's no investment or anything else. In fact, the government doesn't produce anything. They take money from us. Taxation is theft, right? So this is not an increase in economic activity. So if you track that out, you're down to 4.2%, which is actually still pretty robust for a quarterly amount a quarterly growth rate for real GDP. But another problem is that private investments, which are highly volatile, added 1.4 percentage points to real GDP growth. So if you take 4.2 percentage points, or percent in growth, and subtract out 1.4%, you're left with 2.8% growth. So what does that mean? Instead of the high 5.2%, we're probably really looking at something for a longer-term economic growth of real growth in GDP in the economy of something closer to 2.8%. So, I mean, that's faster than what it has been recently um, under the Biden administration's big government approach, but it's still still some weaknesses that remain. Other observations that I have about this is that consumption will slow or decline soon, given excess savings are declining, all that money that was pumped out during COVID and everything else that's going away with high inflation, people spending uh, maybe not getting jobs for a while because they were sitting on, at home on and doing a number of other things under the safety nets that were being passed out. Retirement funds are also being tapped. How long will they do that? You know, they will, can't do that forever either because they want to leave money for retirement. Um, or are they taking away? Remember, there's trade-offs. So they may take it all out now, but they're going to be left in a world of hurt later on. And credit cards are being maxed out. There's more than a trillion dollars now in credit card debt. And those interest rates are soaring as well. So if you can't pay them off month to month, like some people do, including myself, then you're going to be left with high interest payments there as well. So that's not a good situation. Private investment will also slow or decline soon, given high interest rates and the lack of willingness to keep borrowing for capital purchases. This is a huge cost. And they're running through all this. They have their private inventories that they stocked up in the third quarter. They're probably not going to stock up in the fourth quarter. And so there's more pain to come. There was a recession in early 2022, and this is a very weak recovery as the government crowds out the private sector through bad fiscal and monetary policies. We've talked about this time and again. Too much government spending, too much money printing, too much regulating, and these are the results that you're going to see. So I hope that it turns around soon. 
Not going to be betting on that, <laughs> given the Biden administration and everything else. But we need to for more flourishing by people. This is what it should be about. The other big thing that I want to talk about today, number two, is at the national front anyway, is inflation. The Bureau of Economic Analysis also released recently information about the personal consumption expenditures. It really comes out of their personal income and some other data that they put out. But I wanted to focus in on the inflation report, which the PCE inflation, personal consumption expenditures inflation, is really what the Federal Reserve, the central bank, likes to look at. This is really their preferred measure of inflation as it adjusts for substitution effects and income effects and other things. It provides a better look at the basket of goods and services that people are buying. The other good one in my my view is chain CPI, but they're very similar in a lot of ways. And so PCA infl inflation is moderating, but still hot. Personal consumption expenditures, price inflation moderated in October, but remains 75% higher than the Fed's 2% average core target. That's where they would like it to be is closer to 2%. In fact, it's an average inflation rate target right now of 2%, but right now it's running at 3.5%. And so that's 75% higher than the 2% target that they would like is the core inflation that excludes food and energy. Now, we all buy food and energy, but energy has been coming down quite a bit. It's actually down 4.8% over the last year. Um, so if you exclude food and energy, that's where you get the 3.5% rate that inflation is running at, that the Fed's going to be looking at for their for their decisions. If you if you include food and energy in the whole full basket, it's actually up 3% year over year. So that looks a little bit better, but we'll see if, if, if energy prices continue to decline, if they don't come back up, we'll see. And Saudi Arabia just recently said that they're going to continue to have cuts in production of oil. So that could also that will influence supply of oil across the globe. So my main takeaway here is that reducing the Fed's balance sheet is helping moderate inflation, but must be cut before prices will be stable. And that's really what their main goal should be is to stabilize prices. That's the only thing that they have control over. And they've printed too much money and added to their balance sheet too much. It's still around $8 trillion, about double what it was before the pandemic. And remember back in 07, before the Great Recession, it was at $800 billion. So it's, it's 10 times what it was back in 2007. Just a lot of money that's been flush, sloshing around in the economy. There was a good article about um, binomics and the failure binomics in the Wall Street Journal opinion pages. And, and it's talking about the excess spending that's happening. So recently, a senator came out and said, you know, all the national debt, $34 trillion, is really from tax cuts. When you looked at Reagan tax cuts, the Bush W tax cuts, even you also looked at the Trump tax cuts, that these were the really the drivers of the debt over time. That's just not true. The Heritage Foundation, Cato, a number of places have been putting out information, including myself, about you know government spending as a share of GDP is soaring. So this is not a revenue problem. It's a spending problem, as I've said time and again. You know, if you look back to Calvin Coolidge, whenever he cut taxes, he also cut government spending, or at least rein in the growth of government spending, and then that allowed for the deficits not to continue to go up. In fact, they cut the debt. And they pay down some of the debt there. There, so that's a key difference that you have um, going on. And, and and this is a bipartisan spending problem that's been happening for a long time. And that's how we've gotten to this situation. So we've got to focus on spending. We've got to get rid of a lot of these programs that are out there. And so Bidenomics is really a complete failure when you think about that. Whenever you look at what's happening in the states, look, Texas school choice is it looks it looks to be dead. 
in, in Texas and should be dead. You know, the, the bills that they've been putting out from the, either the Senate bill one or the house bill one, um, both of those have not been what I would consider to be universal school choice, universal education savings accounts, where you have universal eligibility, any school age kid, there's 6.3 million of them across the state of Texas that they can have access to it. If the parents choose, choose to get one uh, but at the same time, they should be funded, right? where the dollars go to follow the student, not to the system. And that's whether someone wants to go to a public school, private school, homeschool, co-op, micro school, whatever kind of schooling that it is, they should be able to go to that school. And it may not pay for all of it. I won't say that that will happen, but there, there should be availability of those funds, whatever the amount is, to every student. And it should come out of the school foundation program, where the dollars that are currently going to the government school system should go to these ESAs to to parents so they could choose where their kids go to school. Um, and that wouldn't cost a lot more money. And if any additional money is needed, bring it out of the general fund, limit other spending, or have tax credits for, for businesses or something else that where you could put more money in people's pockets without growing government substantially. That's how you have real universal school choice. So I think it should die right now. I have a piece coming out soon that's calling for Governor Abbott just to wait Put all the focus on the primaries. Let's get some of these members out who are progressive, rural Republicans or progressives in general, because, look, they are not going to be for school choice. And this is something that we need. It's a the civil rights era of our time, the issue of our time right now. I think it's so important for poverty relief, for um, getting people out of a prison or a lifeline on into crime. We really need to improve our education system and increasing productivity and economics. All of that stuff is all going to come from it. So let's make sure that that's, that's a big focus. Tennessee, though, Governor Bill Lee announced school choice, universal school choice will pass there in 2024. They have some small school choice ESA programs now, but they're wanting to expand that, which would be great. But let's see what the details are. People are moving to red states and especially Houston, Dallas, Miami, and Nashville. So they're moving to red states, but kind of blue areas in some sense, although the Dallas mayor, Eric Johnson, recently went from a Democrat to a Republican, and the, the, the mayor of Miami is now Republican. So many of these places are also moving to be more red as well. And, and what they're moving from are San Francisco, California, blue progressive area, New York, um, Chicago. Those are the places they're moving from for more opportunity for to improving their livelihood and their families. That's where they're moving to. And so I was recently on KTRH News in Houston, a radio show talking about that. And so um, I also have a short on YouTube that I'll put in the show notes page that you don't want to miss. And another thing on the states is that Texas, Louisiana, and half the states lost jobs in October. Just a bad jobs report that came out the Friday before Thanksgiving and, and showing that there is a lot of slowdown across the economy. We'll see if that continues. One month doesn't equal a trend, but this was not a good situation. I think what we're, we're seeing is a, a slowdown across the United States economy. Even the U.S. You know, jobs report was slow as, as well or was weak as well. So this is a trend that we want to watch. The ways to strengthen the state's economies are, again, less spending, lower taxes, less regulation. There has been too much spending in these places, and we've got to make sure that they come down because otherwise we are going to contribute to less economic opportunity for people to flourish. That's not what we want, right? And, and personal sort of news that's going on here recently, I presented at the Houston chapter for the American Institute for Economic Research's Bastiat Society. Great group down there. Be sure to check them out if you're in the Houston area. I talked a lot about the economy, my time at the White House, 
a number of other things. You know, I also recently tweeted about recommendations on podcasts. Um, I think that there's a lot of great podcasts that are out there. I listen to a number of them uh, on two times speed, which maybe you do that with mine as well. But I think that's a way to, you know, get the information in and you can listen to more of them. <laughs> and, and, and hopefully you're, you can share mine as well as I'm hope I, I'm, I'm trying to bring as much information and insights as I can here on this short, short episodes. You know, I think other things that I want to mention though, and just re remind you about is a review, a giveaway that I'm doing. If you go and review my podcast on Apple, uh, Spotify, YouTube, if you give a review, then uh, you'll be entered into, if you go to this link that I'll put in the show notes page, go to this link, put your information in, I'll add you to the list. And then I'm going to randomly select people to get a uh, no charge subscription to my Substack newsletter, which comes out whenever these podcasts come out. And I'm also starting to add a paywall portion just for those individuals that you could be one of those winners, or you can come in and, and pay. I'm charging what $5, uh, a month if you want to be a paid subscriber or $50 for the year. Please check that out as that'll help me a lot to bring these shows to you, getting more information out there as much as possible. The past LPP episode, the Life Field Prosper episodes was with Ovik Roy. We had a great conversation about the biggest national crisis right now is the national debt. We talked about freedom, conservatism, and so much more. The upcoming Lepiel Prosper episode on Monday will be with Dr. Gail Pooley, one of the authors of Super Abundance, a great book that we don't you don't want to miss our conversation. We talked about scarcity. We talked about abundance. We talked about what creates the institutional framework to provide those and also artificial intelligence. You don't want to miss that. So a lot of good information that's out there. So let me leave you with a Bible verse that will hopefully help you um, to guide you over the weekend and until next week. So this is Psalms 119.2. Joyful are those who obey his laws and search for him with all their hearts. I will continue to do that each and every day. I hope you will too. And until next time, let people prosper.